Hey there, folks. Before we get into this week's episode and my conversation with artist Stan, I want to remind you that we're just a couple short weeks away from Cybefest Northwest 2020 happening August 1st and 2nd. Now, the longtime unofficial Transformers convention in the Pacific Northwest for the fans, by the fans, is now all virtual this year as a community streaming event on their Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash sidefestnw. And I am excited to announce that I'll be hosting a few events uh, during the stream, including... The return of the legacy of the Transformers, the movie, a uh, roundtable discussion to commemorate the movie's original release date, featuring guests Dave Cabal, artist Blackie Shepard, and more yet to be announced. That's going to be on Saturday, August 1st at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And then on Sunday, I'm back at it hosting a artist spotlight panel featuring Blackie Shepard and Billy Montfort, a.k.a. Cosmic Danger, who are both from right here in the Seattle area and have their first interior artwork debuting this week in IDW's Transformers comic issue number 21. And I uh, and I bet you can guess that my first question for them is going to be how two artists from Seattle both made their debut in the same issue. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, but we're going to talk about their experiences working for IDW and fulfilling that dream of so many fan artists by doing work for the official book Uh, that is going to be at 3 p.m on sunday and then at 4 30 i'll be back on the stream as part of the closing ceremonies and a roundtable with the show organizers now that being said there are still a few spots open for both saturday and sunday for additional programming and panels Uh, for example uh, are you a dealer looking to sell some toys Uh, Maybe you want to show off your artistic talent uh, with some friends out on the live stream. Got some cool and unique pieces of Transformers history, maybe some memorabilia you'd like to exhibit as part of a panel. Maybe you want to do a contest. Or you can do what I'm doing and host a roundtable discussion uh, talking about the Transformers uh, toy line, the mythos, the fiction, um, the fandom... This is a community streaming event, and it's open to anybody in the Transformers fan community. It is being put on and hosted and and run uh, by fans here in the Pacific Northwest, but don't feel limited by that geography. I've reached out to uh, some of my friends in the uh, fan content creation community, uh, you know, inviting them. Uh, to uh, um, uh, host some panels as well. So, you know, basically, if you're a Transformers fan and in the sound of my voice and you're uh, one of these uh, crazy uh, uh, content creators uh, like myself and my friends and want to um, want to engage, uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, for sign-up information and to see the full schedule, check out SybefestNW.com. That is spelled S-Y-B-F-E-S-T-N-W.com. Again, SideFestNW.com.
Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio, powered by Poddex. I am your host, and this week, my guest is Transformers fan artist Stan Cho, a.k.a. Artist Stan. Um, and we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about our favorite robots in disguise, but we're also going to talk a lot about his art and the various styles that he uses, as, uh, as well as his live streaming and other cool projects um, that, uh, that he's doing. So um, rather than me just rambling, I'm going to try to stay out of my own way and we're just going to get right to it. Hey, Stan, welcome to Mike Cyber Radio. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, Mike. You know, it's great to be on the show and great to be, you know, among Transformers fans and to be, you know, talking to you with a fellow Transformer fan like you. Absolutely. I, I, I really appreciate your uh, recent interactivity. Like during uh, my Flint Dilly interview, you, uh, you came up with a, uh, with a really cool uh, question about what happened to, or, or what was originally going to happen to the, uh, the rest of the 1984-1985 uh, Autobots. And, and Flint gave a really cool answer about uh, Charge of the Light Brigade and what was going to happen on Cybertron as they took on Unicron. And it was it was really cool. So I really um, uh, appreciate you uh, uh, giving me that really cool question uh, to ask because I, I had kind of known that story a little bit already. So it was kind of off my radar. But the cool thing about uh, questions like that is when you ask them again, sometimes you get cool answers that you weren't expecting. And that was definitely the case uh, with, uh, with my interview with Flint Dilly. Yeah. I mean, the the feeling is mutual because you know, I, the 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 um, description that he gave of this sort of cut what I call a cut scene mm-hmm. from the movie, um, or you could call it a cut script. Like the entire script was cut, right? So now I have this new thing that I want to ask him a ton of questions about. You know, this mysterious <laughs> uh, scrapped script. You know, but even just this one part of the script, which gave a, a more valiant end to the 84 line of Autobots, Mm -hmm. which is something we all wanted because, um, you know, my favorite Autobot at the time, Prowl, did not meet a valiant end. No. And yeah, it was just a pummeling, just a sheer pummeling. And um, I was talking about this with my brothers who are also huge fans. And, you know, we fed each other uh, all of our um, sort of energy, right? At the time as as kids, you know, Transformers, G.I. Joe, all that stuff. Um, But... You know, I was talking with him and I was like, you know, that Transformers 86 movie might have been really successful at the box office had they given us a lot more like powerful, empowering Autobot moments mm-hmm. throughout, you know. And if you needed to kill off the, the 84 line, go ahead, do it. I mean, I, I don't say that with full honesty, right? But right, you, right. you, you got <laughs> to do Hasbro execs, you know, but give us some, give, throw us a bone, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. And uh, just as a, a quick recap for folks, uh, Flint Dilly's new book, The Games Master, Almost Famous in the Geek 80s, is available now. Uh, you can order a autographed copy from Rare Bird Books. Um, you can also get it on Amazon and on Audible. The uh, audiobook version of it is phenomenal. And uh, Flint Dilly, who was a story consultant on 1986's Transformers the Movie, as well 
well as uh, the writer of Five Faces of Darkness, the the kickoff to season three of the Transformers. And Transformers really just kind of is, I mean, I don't want to say it's a footnote, but it kind of basically scratches the surface of how prolific uh, Flint Dilly really was. He did extensive work on, you know, G.I. Joe and Visionaries and Inhumanoids and, and just has this uh, uh, history with Gary Gygax of Dungeons and Dragons and and all kinds of other stuff that I can't think of off the top of my head without my notes. But um, it is it is a fascinating read. He is a incredibly interesting dude. So if you haven't, uh, go check out my uh, interview with Flint Dilly. There's a video version as well as a uh, audio podcast version. Um, and definitely check out the book. Um, however, however you would like. It is uh, again. It's uh, it's really great. And I think I think I have paid a proper homage and tribute to the estate of Flint Dilly here. But uh, but I, I you know where uh, he's a he's a he's a big dude. You know, in terms of what he provided for us growing up. Well, you know, even he, even in humanoids, something like that, like. My brothers and I, we loved it. Well, I mean, in humanoids was just wild because basically it was Cthulhu for kids. You know, it's crazy. But, but it's, something, it's something you said there, Stan, uh, about uh, Flint Dilly being a, a big guy. He is a big guy. He's, he's like 6'5 he's like oh. or something oh, like really? that. He is a very tall, imposing man. Yeah. Like uh, uh, folks uh, on Twitter right now, because like TFCon Toronto was supposed to be this weekend, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously oh, got gosh. postponed yeah. due to, due to the, uh, COVID. But um, a lot of folks are sharing of photos and memories using the hashtag uh, virtual TFCon. And a lot of folks have been sharing uh, photos of them with Flint Dilly. And it's so funny because I have yet in any of those pictures, see anybody that's close to Flint Dilly's height. <laughs> like I've got a buddy, uh, Ryan, uh, from the uh, uh, one third of the uh, Autopod Decepticast. And he uh, took a picture with him when we were in uh, Chicago. And uh, I, I love you, Ryan, but he's, he's a little dude. He's, he's a little dude and Flint is a big dude. So there's about like a foot of height difference yeah. between them. It's almost cartoonish, but uh, love you, Ryan. Um, they're uh, they're <laughs> also uh, interviewing uh, Flint Dilly. I think they recorded that this morning. Um, and that's going to be available on the Autopod Decepticast feed uh, sometime in the uh, in the future. Um, so uh, really excited for that. But um, but Stan, I know we're going to spend a lot of time uh, talking <laughs> about Transformers the movie because one of the things that I I discovered um, in in acquainting myself with your art and your social media, it's a lot of your art is very. Uh, uh, centric and focused on Transformers the movie specifically. Um, like even like a lot of your pixel art will like reenact scenes with the dialogue and things like that. Um, so we're, so we're definitely going to talk about that. I think we have the table very well set. But uh, but before we get too terribly much further, because every <laughs> podcast or in this case live stream is somebody's first show. Um, uh, Stan, could you take a minute and perhaps uh, introduce yourself? Uh, let us know uh, just a little bit about yourself, and and then from there we'll uh, we'll talk about your art. Yeah, sure. Um, so let's see. I mean, where do I start? Right. Um, <laughs> I've been drawing my whole life, and um, I I was I wasn't so sure about take about kind of venturing towards an art career. So I, you know, got a degree in business and I went into translation. I, I, I had a big um, interest in Japan 
And um, so I, I went to Japan and I, and I taught English and then I, uh, I was a translator um, working with Toyota a lot on their car repair manuals. And it got to a point where I was like, okay, you know, where am I going with this? And life's getting kind of boring. And, you know, Japan was my dream, but it kind of lived its, it ran its course. Sure. And so I came back to the U.S. and, you know, did some odd jobs. And I was like, all right, that's it. I want to do art. That's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, but way before that, I discovered deviant art. And I rediscovered my love of, you know, Marvel. Because I, I, I got out of comics and, and, and I got out of Transformers for a while. But I rediscovered my love of Marvel and Transformers on DeviantArt back in 2006. And then by 2009, I'd gotten somewhat of a, of, of a, a following for my Transformers art back then. Mm -hmm. But I never thought it would amount to anything. You know, back then, being a fan artist never meant that you became a pro. Um, you, you, you just kind of lived and died as a fan artist. Mm -hmm. And I, I did not have the foresight like Casey Collier and some of these other people, um, um, you know, that you could just keep doing that and become become a pro. So I, I stopped drawing Transformers around 2009 or 2010. Um, and then, um, you know, just, you know, went about my Japan stuff. And then um, I came back to the US and then I, I sort of picked it up again. And then uh, around 2019, I really started hitting hard on social media, especially Instagram. And I was posting twice a day. I was drawing on my train commute into Manhattan. And, uh, and, and then I started to pick up steam. I have 5,000 followers now on Instagram. Um, oh, wow. Congratulations. So, so, thanks. Yeah. That, that's, that's my main sort of success. And, and I, I've kind of, I, I kind of forgot about Twitter. I was really big on Twitter when I was really, really pushing for a comics career as a yeah. comics artist. So I got my followers up to a thousand, but then I just completely neglected my, my Twitter account for the longest time. Um, but yeah, comics was a big thing too. Like I, I was, I, I, you know, I should have, I should have never stopped being a fan artist because as a fan artist for Marvel, as a fan artist for Transformers, I really think I could have gotten somewhere if I just kept pushing from 2010 onward. But that said, you know, back in 2013, when I went full, I, I went cold Turkey, quit my job, my, my normal paying job. And I, um, became a full-time, you know, zero income, uh, illustrator. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was full tilt, like I'm going to get into Marvel. I'm going to get into DC. I'm going to do something. I'm gonna, and I'm a pretty good artist. I can do it. Right. I, yeah. I was a little bit crazy to put it that way. Right. Yeah. I was like, yeah, give me a year. I'll break in. You know, all these, all these chumps who can't break in, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and of course sure. I didn't break in, but I did break in with a guy who used to run Marvel. His name is Bill Jemis. Oh and he's yeah. The one, okay. He's the one who gave me my first real like full-time job. And that, that first company double take folded. And then I went back to freelancing and then he, he formed a second company called AWA, uh, which has, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Upshot, oh. but um, it's run by Axel Alonzo and um, worked with him on Upshot. And now I'm working with Bill. I'm still working with Axel on Upshot, but we have another imprint now, which is Bill's imprint, which is called iPop. And so when, when I'm not doing that, um, you know, spending all my time on Transformers and building my, um, my well, I shouldn't say my, but just sort of like, contributing to the Transformers community as yeah. much as I can. It's not about me. It's about this awesome community that is literally 0.00001% negativity and 99.99999% posit positivity in my, in my arena, right? Like I'm yeah. not trying to get into, you know, all the, the other stuff. I don't, I don't spew hate. I do have my, my hot takes on stuff, but I don't go around like, you know, 
spewing that stuff. You know, I just stay in my corner, my G1 corner, which is where my, my passion is. And like you said, you know, Transformers, the movie, which was sort of like the beginning of the end of G1, you know? Yeah. And, um, and Dilly's talk about, you know, five faces wanting to redo five faces of of darkness. (laughs) I found that kind of hilarious because, because five faces is like a debacle, an animation debacle. But it's hilarious. Like the yeah. errors in the animation are hilarious. And and it's not bad. I actually rewatched the whole thing on Tubi TV uh-huh. the other the other month. And it wasn't that bad. And and I could totally see like the whole sort of arc, you know? And 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 I could kind of see it with new eyes. Yeah. And I hated it when I was a kid. I was like, because my friend, the first thing, you know, after after like uh we watched the movie, Transformers the movie. And, um, you know, I, I talked to my, my next door neighbor. He was like, oh, man, did you hear about Five Faces of Darkness? It's awesome. It's on TV. And it's on, it's whatever. It's, it's, it's the continuation to the movie, dudes. And I was like, oh. And I was like, my first question was like, how good is the art? Because back then, <laughs> I was already like hardcore. And I watched it, you know. I, I mean, I knew what good art was. I didn't, I wasn't like art blind, you know. Yeah. Even back then. And he was like, the art is exactly like the movie. And I was like, oh, no way. Like, where'd they get the budget for that? You know, yeah. he had no clue. Like, he had no art for, no eye for art at all. And when, I, when, we, when my brothers and I saw the animation, we just died. <laughs> like, we couldn't watch it. It was unwatchable. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, that's, uh, that's funny. I, I don't know if I've ever had anybody try to sell me on season three or Five Faces of Darkness trying to say it's just like the movie um, because uh, it's not. Um, I mean, spiritually and, you know, kind of storytelling wise, I mean, you know, one of the things that Flint said is that, you know, Five Faces was really meant to be a sequel to the movie. And in a lot of ways, it is but i i always felt that as as a fan of the movie specifically that there was always a more worthy sequel there i even now 35 years later i'm still not sure exactly what that is and i think a lot of that is because we've had season three and season four and then (laughs) and, and and then the basically the brand has evolved beyond that story you know the story of the original sunbow cartoon and yeah it's like i i don't i don't know what a true sequel to transformers the movie would look like i don't think i can divorce myself from from the material that we got <laughs> right interesting that's a good way of putting it yeah um, it's sort of like we're you know we're armchair directors when it comes to that when we see it we can totally critique you know yeah. the heck out of it but until we see it we're like you know, we don't really know what it is, right? Absolutely. So I'm, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to bring up my uh, share screen here, and see if, um, oh, there we go, share screen. And I'm gonna bring up a, a sample of your art for, um, for the audience here uh, that's watching on the live stream. So this is a collage that, um, that you put up on uh, Father's Day, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, I, I don't have the verbiage of the, the post in front of me, but it was, it was really touching, you know, where, where you uh, uh, talked about Optimus Prime as being a uh, father figure and that it was, uh, it was very appropriate for uh, Father's Day. But what I also thought with, with the different 
representation. I think this is very representative of the various styles of your art that I, I think would make for a really good uh, jumping off point. Um, when you and I first got acquainted, um, you uh, you reached out to me and said, "Hey, man, I'd I'd like to be on your show." And you know, I, I think at that point, I um, uh, was just familiar with your uh, pixel art. You know, like the you know kind of the images that were uh, seen here below. I think maybe that was around the time of uh, the hot rod video, but I'll uh, I'll come back to that in a sec. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just basically your uh, uh, pixel art that I was familiar with. And that was enough for me to be a fan. I was like, I really like this style. You know, it's very evocative of, you know, 8-bit Nintendo and, you know, kind of that whole, um, you know, style that, that's, um, uh, that's a lot of fun. But then I followed you on Instagram and I started checking out more of your art and I was really uh, very taken with, um, you know, the overall style. There's a, there's a lot of emotion that's, that's conveyed in your art. And I, um, uh, to the point where I couldn't even tell because I, I'm not an artist myself. Um, I, I couldn't even tell what kind of media was being used because it looks like a oh. lot of like mixed media. Even some of it looks like it's almost like, like a charcoal drawings. It, it's uh, it's very stylistic and it's very cool. Uh, but I thought, well, it's just kind of like an entree. If, uh, if you wanted to kind of maybe talk about um, your art and the various styles of art and we'll, uh, we'll kind of unpack things from there. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you for, you know, looking at my art and also for kind of, you know, digging a little deeper, you know, into, um, kind of, you know, the different styles that I've, that I've taken on over the years. Um, the easiest way to put it is that, um, <laughs> I'm not very, I'm not a one trick pony. Okay. And I think that encompasses even the way that I, that I work even in the comic industry now, but, um, I can go through what inspired me you know, to do these things. Um, the sort of painted art style was something yeah. that I picked up when my dad, you know, was like, get an iPad. I'm like, I, I don't like iPads. Like, I, I'm, I'm not an Apple guy, you know. He's like, get an iPad. I'll get you an iPencil. So he bought it for me. And then I, I, I was fooling around with Procreate. And Procreate has an incredible brush engine. And as a person who, who used Photoshop from since 1996, back when there was still only one undo, um, I, I've used art programs left and right for the past two decades. Um, and Procreate is on another level in terms of the brush engine and the types of brushes that you can use. Um, all the painted stuff you see here was done in Procreate. It's a, t it's, it's a $10 program. Insane. But you have, to, really? you have to quote unquote unlock the app by getting an iPad. So I have to thank my dad for that, for getting me an iPencil and an iPad because that, that pretty much solidifies Apple as like um, a must-have. I mean, the iPad and iPencil as a must-have, right? Um, uh, let's see. So the pixel art. Um, oh, I see the screen's changed a little bit here. Yeah, I, yeah. I hit some wrong button. Oh, okay, no, it's fine. Don't so the mind pixel me. Art, <laughs> <laughs> the pixel art um, came out of sort of, okay, you know, I've got to post more often on Instagram, on social media, but um, I don't have enough time to draw. 
And so I, I found that I could pump out, you know, pixel art, maybe four or five of them sometimes mm -hmm. in an hour or because it's usually it's just a portrait. Um, but it kind of has the same effect. Like, and, and it also, it's a challenge because you have to capture that character's personality in a portrait. Um, um, so it was born out of sort of a time constraint. Um, and then as I was, you know, looking to more pixel art stuff and, and getting more into retro, retro wave music, yeah, I, I discovered the retro wave aesthetic. And then I started to incorporate that into my pixel art. Um, so basically what I do is I, I hop around my inspiration and um, that, and I hop around technology, whether it's the iPad or, you know, the, the first pixel art that I did was actually on my phone also. Um, so I consider that technology. Um, but I, I have a very sort of short attention span and okay. I love technology. So if, when you combine those two things together, you're going to see me jump all over the place in terms of art style. And I'm, so I guess you could call me then like they're variety streamers. I'm a variety artist, okay. which is like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to always play Fortnite for, from now to the end of time. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to play the hottest game. I'm going to try out new games, see what I like, go back to an old game every once in a while, et cetera, you know, so. Um, and, and oh, the upper right one was inspired by Bill Sienkiewicz. Oh, I was okay. looking at his art. I can see that. Yeah, he I can spawned. See. He actually spawned the entire um, portrait series because he does really fabulous portraits. And that my first one thousand. No, I should say my when when my Instagram account really took off was when I did these oversized portraits where you couldn't even see the borders of their heads. You only saw like the center of their face, kind of like the the prime picture in the center here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that really took off on Instagram. I don't know if it's because out of curiosity, people are like, oh, if I click it, I wonder if I can see the whole head. But you can't. Even if you click it, you can't see the whole head. And it, it's kind of hard. It's kind of like it stands out more in the Instagram feed, I think. And um, pretty much every once I went to that format on Instagram, I got a thousand likes on every post. Wow. And then because I'm crazy, I just stopped doing it because I lost interest in it. And of course, my likes are, you know, 500 700 now they don't go up to a thousand or two thousand anymore but i just i have to be inspired to do stuff if i'm not or if i'm running out of content i just can't do it you know so right now i'm inspired by pixel art mm -hmm. and i'm just going to run with it and i've got my next hot idea for pixel art so ah. i'm going to run with it and you know i'm i'm really into twitch right now so i'm going to run with it you know and see where it takes me you know very cool. Well, I am going to try uh, to share my screen again because uh, the um, before before we move on to your uh, uh, streaming on Twitch, uh, you had mentioned uh, your uh, retrowave stuff earlier, and um, and I think this is the piece that that uh, that one of the first things I saw of yours that that really got my attention. It's um, so it's it's. Hot Rod from from uh, Transformers the movie, and of course, you know it's 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 the um, scene where Dare kicks in, and um, 
this is just a sample of it that you put up on Twitter, but you did a did a full video where it's um, not only is it this scene, but you've got um, some really cool uh, synthwave, like, you know, uh, folks in the synthwave community, uh, I, I'm sure are very familiar with The Midnight. You have a, you have a couple of their tracks on there. But the thing that I, I really liked um, about it also is that the, uh, the scenery changes. You know, it's like it goes from, you know, it goes to day to uh, uh, dusk, to twilight, to the evening, and then back around again. And um, I, maybe it was because of the music. Maybe it was because of the, 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 the pixelated nature of the art. But the first thing I thought of was the, uh, was the end of Mega Man 2. <laughs> where like you know after you beat the game mega man is just kind of going on this walkabout and like the seasons change his suit changes colors as as each season passes and it just uh um it, it just really struck me and I, uh, I i just thought this was a really cool piece thanks so much thanks so much um um this was a ton of fun to make and um you know we we talking about the the changing of the you know the day cycle that i added mm -hmm. into the full 18 minute version um that's just another example of technology like that was all after effects and i got into after effects again way back in 2010 around that i guess i had a burst of creativity at that mm -hmm. time and um after effects just blows my mind in terms of the things that you can do and i've gotten back into after effects because i've been doing um using after effects at work for marketing stuff and, um, you know, I just got familiar with it again. I got used to opening it up every day for work. And then I was like, look, I'm just going to go onto YouTube, look, look at a couple of tutorials and figure out how to do some of this retro wave stuff. I know it's not hard. Um, and, you know, once I had the base, um, you know, assets done in uh, Clip Studio, which is the art program that I prefer these days, um, I just, I dumped it into After Effects and then I just got all that stuff done. And then the... The retrowave music and the running and and all of that. I mean, I mean, there's so it just like there's one midnight song where in the beginning the girl, I think it's the audio from uh, Karate Kid, where she's like, "We're gonna let's run away." Like I don't know what it was in the yeah, 80s, yeah. but running away was a thing, man. Definitely, like, I dreamed of running away. You know, I had like a loving family and everything. And I was like, I'm gonna run away. <laughs> like, <laughs> what did the what did freaking Hollywood like? screw kids up, minds up with that stuff man that's crazy right if you think about that and think about the kids that actually ran away and like or disappeared you know yeah like, i could have been one of those kids man <laughs> no it's not a laughing matter because kids like something like five hundred thousand kids go missing every year it's like insane dude yeah. it's insane I, I mean that that's a tangent but like and then going to anime like Mega Man, i was never really a big Mega Man fan but when you're talking about anime and and the video game aesthetic and everything <laughs> They had the same like melancholy and like total like this this sort of emotional side to things that were ultra deep, like mm -hmm. like like even like the end of Fist of the North Star, the movie where he's walking yes. and and his girlfriend is dead, but he sees ghosts of her like walking around, and you're like, man, is this real? God, I wish this was real, and she, it disappears and it's desert again. You're like oh my gosh you know like that kind of stuff but like ending credits like saint seiya i was a huge fan of saint seiya which is only because you know i was in taiwan at the time and mm -hmm. here in the u.s it was dragon ball i got picked up from that time 
but uh, I was in Taiwan at the time. I'm, I'm Taiwanese by, by descent, mm. raised in America. But, you know, I went back to Taiwan to live for six years. And it's close to Japan. So I picked up a lot of stuff from Japan back in the, um, the late 80s and early 90s. And I totally got into Saint Seiya. And Saint Seiya had a ton of melancholy, mm-hmm. just sad scenes. And that's baked into um, how I want to and how I think about cartoons. Mm-hmm. And of course, all anime, now people know, right? People know anime is like the full spectrum. Like you'll have funny scenes, scenes that'll make you outright cry, like cry mm-hmm. like a baby, you know? Like oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was never like a goal for for like American animation, you know? Now they know a little bit about that. And yeah. maybe Disney knew about that and, and Pixar knows about that. Pixar, Pixar can make people cry, but anime is like, like we've been doing that for like, what? You know, like 50 <laughs> exactly. years, like, yeah, like... It's like, oh, that's cute. Um, yeah, right, right. But like, but, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Mega Man because Mega Man is huge. And, and pixel art Mega Man, that's like, that's like ultra like match made in heaven, you know. Mm-hmm. And just another thing about pixel art is it's like the building blocks of the digital screens that we work with are, are pixels. No matter how photoreal you get, it's pixels. So pixels are actually the ultimate, uh, I, I should say, um, digital screens are the ultimate vehicle for pixel art. And that's why I think, yeah. I don't know why, but pixel art gets a ton of likes and a ton of eyeballs just because it's, it's the natural, the literal natural environment for, for like if I drew, if I hand drew a pencil piece and I put it on, on a post, it's just, that's just not the natural way you look at it. Right. Like if I held, if I gave you a pencil piece, it just hits you differently, you know? Yeah. So it's just, Pixar just it that it's just I love it for that reason you know yeah and it's interesting I mean uh what one quick tangent before uh, uh before uh we segue into talking about uh your live stream and the stuff you've been uh doing on Twitch because I, I I'm looking at your uh Optimus Prime piece that that you did there and I really want to talk about it but I didn't want to lose this thread um uh we we were talking about uh how anime really kind of like stirs emotions and it was just depth and complex. And I really think that uh, Transformers the movie was really kind of one of the first uh, major animated studios that really had that vibe and aesthetic. It's like I've I've said in several other places that Transformers the movie is for a, a lot of American audiences, especially a lot of uh young suburban kids, that's kind of the gateway to anime. You know, it's like there's I I think uh, especially the the complexion uh uh complexity of the animation and the depth of the storytelling you know it w- it was more sophisticated than those episodes that that we talked about earlier with you know uh jazz being a snowman and optimus prime <laughs> playing basketball you know it's like it was it it was a intentionally more adult level sophistication or at least young adult you know uh, they they were targeting teenagers was what they thought their audience uh, was going to be for the movie uh but i've i i think that's why it's become gone gone on to become a cult classic and why i think folks like us continually go back to it because even even now in the transformers community um you know there's certain segments of it it's like you know 
let let the movie go you know it's like it was a thing that <laughs> happened and it's like you know it's not it's not important now like you know i i don't I don't know how much we want to tangent and, and, and litigate uh, the politics of the toys, but there, there's a little bit of controversy going on now with regards to the studio series line of action figures that mm. up until now has been all uh, Bay vs. Michael Bay live action um, aesthetic, but there are recent solicitations to suggest, and nothing has been formally announced yet. I don't believe that um that the studio series line will start to incorporate characters from the 1986 uh transformers the movie and for me at least i'm incredibly excited for that opportunity i i would love nothing better than to actually buy a action figure that says transformers the movie on it specifically um because like while i've had all the characters I've I've never really had something branded like that that says the Transformers the movie. Um, but th- the controversy comes from it's like well, as far as the toys go, we're already kind of at peak G one. You know, it's like the the War for Cybertron series. You know, Earthrise, uh, Siege, and whatever the third part ends up being, is is rotten with G one. And you know, you get you get more versions of Optimus. You get more versions of uh, Starscream. Um, I I'm going to get more versions of Soundwave though. So I'm I'm cool <laughs> I'm cool with that. So I I'm not I'm not going to complain. But but that criticism is it's like, you know what, you G1ers already have uh uh you know, you can go get your characters. Where where's my Unicron trilogy? Where's my uh you know, Car Robots? Uh you know, where where's the the Japanese characters? You know, that kind of thing. Why do we really need to rehash all this? Um, and really it's kind of like, you know, get your G1 out of, out of my movie line and where, where I think a lot of the controversy is, but uh, again, for me, and I realize that I've taken like a huge tangent, but it's, <laughs> no, it's again, fine. Yeah. Again, I, I think, I think the movie Transformers, the movie, uh, 1986 is important enough of a touchstone to where I I think it deserves to have its own branded line and 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 uh, next year's the 35th anniversary. So I think I think if there's a time to do it, why not now? Um, as opposed to waiting five years because who knows what what the landscape is going to be in five years? Are people even going to be into Transformers then? I I don't know. Um, Anyway, that that's that's just a a random tangent for me about uh, my love for uh, Transformers the movie. Well, I mean, it's it's very relevant, and I think you know there's so many things I could touch on, but probably the biggest thing is the toy wars, um, mm-hmm. the whole discussion, and the whole viewership of toy reviews and 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 per, uh, not not just viewership, but just purchasing yeah. of of toys. I mean, that's what this that's what Transformers is all about, right? So very relevant. And um, personally, I would love to see more and more iterations of the same stuff. And the reason I say that is because every time a new Optimus Prime comes out and it looks like the, the red truck that we all came to love, the, the flat nose, the, yeah. what do you call it? The flat front. Uh, cab, cab over. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see what innovation they've done on the, tra- on the transformation. You know, um, every time, it, it, without fail, like when... When the three, the two third-party uh, masterpiece Optimuses came out, and then the, yes. the actual masterpiece came out, I was my eyes were glued to my, you know, to YouTube watching the reviewers transform this thing because I was just 
it, the engineering, you know, has come so far um, from the from the G one thing. I mean, granted, I love the simplicity of the G one transformation. Sure, but um, but you know, yeah, bring it on. You know, bring on um, a studio series line um, set with another you know clever engineering person or engineering lead because every once you change the engineering lead, like remember when. It, on the masterpiece line, they changed the engineering lead, and everything started changing. Like, like there were there were like um, smooth panels, yeah, on, like, uh, on iron hide, which you hadn't seen before because everything was chiseled and real nice, like like mm-hmm. little detail on there and stuff. And then you had like um, tracks who like looks like he went through the ninety eighty six movie and someone blew a hole in his side, you know, like you hadn't seen <laughs> that before in masterpiece, you know, yeah. So just like, but every time you know, there's there's pros and cons to that, and um, I love seeing a hundred versions of Optimus. I'll never get sick of it. Um, and then uh, you brought up another point too, just about you know wanting to see other toy lines being represented. And you know, I mean, the the, the Transformers fandom is great because it's like so many different slices of, of generations, and you could slice a decade into how many different fandoms. <laughs> I and I don't nothing on nothing on Beast Wars, but I just don't touch it. Sure, but amazing fandom there right um you know tfa like tfa my brother says it's one of the only other transformer series that he likes mm-hmm. you know so there's definitely something there right my, my favorite part of tfa was um that little bit on cybertron where you got to see rodimus and you got to see um a couple other characters i think minerva was in there the the the, the medic yeah uh, oh no she was red alert it, she was red alert oh, but okay she looked like minerva but it was like this incredible action scene and it was so hard hitting. And I was like, what is this? Did, did some anime guy make this? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, did they bring on some like anime fanatic, you know, to do this? Well, but I want to go back to what you said about Transformers, the movie. Yeah, of course. About how it was like, it harkened to sort of anime. And I, I, I don't know who to attribute that to other than Nelson Shin, who was obviously Asian. Absolutely. And he probably had some connection to some, well, obviously Hasbro had connections to Japanese designers and animators, but a lot of the a lot of the storyboards or keyframes I want to believe were done by Japanese artists mm-hmm. because it's a dynamic that the way Optimus Prime jumps into the sky like nobody has replicated yes. that. Even in the Bumblebee movie, if you look at the way he jumps over that, even though it's an homage, it doesn't even come close. Like, right. like the way his body moves is completely stiff. If you if you watch the the hand drawn animation. Holy smokes. Like that jump into the sky. <laughs> it, it's like, iconic. It's, I, it's I'm going to pixel art that. I'm going to pixel art that and just like solidify that too in pixel art fandom. Um, you know, just to, to tangent a little bit, I went and did some of the, the commercial bumpers um, yes. in pixel art as well. And that went over so well on, on Twitter as well, uh, like the Hot Rod one. That it, that was that my that was my realization that Twitter could also be a place for stuff to get a lot of traction mm-hmm. because at that point I had only viewed Twitter as a comics networking tool for sure, me. Sure, sure. And that's why I just stopped posting. You know, occasionally I'd post some Transformers now and then, but I'd still only get five likes, ten likes. So I was like, ah, eh, it's not worth it. I'll mm-hmm. just stay on Instagram. But when the the when I put up the bumpers and I started putting more like moving content, you know, like uh, motion content. And I was like, hey, well, Twitter loves this stuff. So, you know, it's really viable. So now I've been posting to Twitter a little bit more often. Not not a whole lot more often, but <laughs> a little bit more often. Just not, I, I'm not, I've never been big in, big on spam. So sure. I just, you know, 
I figure people will find me, you know, when, when I have something good to post. So. Exactly. And a thing that's interesting on uh, Twitter and Transformers fandom is depending upon who you talk to, a lot of folks will say that that's where Transformers fandom lives. Like, oh. the, like there's a, there's a lot of Transformers fandom okay. out on Twitter <laughs> and a lot of it comes from uh, folks that feel underrepresented. Like, you know, they don't necessarily right. have uh, um, uh, voices in other platforms. Right. And so it, it's, again, not getting like weirdly uh, contrarian or political or something, but it is interesting and in telling that there is an official G.I. Joe Twitter account, but there is not an official Transformers account out on Twitter. So it's like Hasbro, I either, I don't know if they just don't value Twitter or they don't know what to do with it. Um, because like on the flip side of it, um, their, their, uh, their Facebook and Instagram pages are straight up savage. Like, like the, no. the official Transformers accounts. I mean, their, their meme game is strong or, or at least <laughs> it was for, for, for a hot second there um, in ways of like, Oh my gosh, this is like from the official account. Kind of like, kind of like how like uh Wendy's will, will have some like, you know, pretty viral tweets it's um uh but anyway I, yeah, yeah it, just, it just seems like there's a lot of uh transformers fandom out on twitter and um a lot of sharing happens there as well you know like uh um and and in different spaces you know it's like a lot of uh fan fiction gets shared out there and there's a lot of uh fan art as well it's a it's yeah. it's a very vibrant community so it's uh, uh you're in good company when uh uh when when you're sharing stuff out on twitter for sure that's great. Great to know. And also just, you know, it, it's, the passion is so, is, is, is so great. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say is that, you know, there's, there's real and, and, and young and old and, and, you yeah. know, again, across, like you said, across the spectrum, you know, underrepresented people, everything, there's, there's a place for everybody. And um, even some of the, the slash stuff, like when I, when I got back into deviant art um, back in the, 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 end of the first deck you know 2005 2006 to 2010 sure um i did some some i did one picture of jazz and prowl um kind of like hanging out on the beach yeah and, or okay. in the water shallow water and um you know it was it was totally fun to draw and it wasn't like outright like saying anything mm -hmm. um so so i liked that i could do that piece and um you know um kind of kind of explore the new head at the time a new new ish to me sort of headspace on like okay how can i pair up um characters when i'm when i'm thinking about the composition you know mm -hmm. because that, that's a big part of it right it's like oh lambo lambros right oh, obviously right yeah yeah but i had sure, never sure. thought of like jazz and prowl right per se i would i would always consider prowl to be with prime at that point because to me, Prowl, you know, I was a big tech spec fan. Again, you know, kudos to my brother for pointing me out, to, pointing that stuff out to me. Um, but, you know, his rank was nine. He was, the, he was the second ranking Autobot at the time. So that's why I liked him because I was never like, oh, I'm going to be number one. I'm going to be Michael Jordan, you know. I was always like, I'm going to be Scottie Pippen. Yeah, you know? see, because I... Like, 
I, I, I totally understand what, what you're saying there because I, I've said um, here on the podcast many times, like the, the characters that always resonated with me were always like the second in command folks. You know, it's like, you know, uh, Destro, uh, Soundwave, oh, yeah. uh, Will Riker, you know, like th- those, yeah. those kind of characters I, I, I always enjoyed. Cause like, That's you know, funny. It's, it's funny that you mentioned Destro because I loved Destro, but I didn't consider him as like a, um, a similar thing to prowl but you're so right you're so right you know um dester was awesome i wanted to take off his silver mask like yeah it was awesome that he was buff too you know because buff was a huge thing back then like everybody like wanted to be buff back then you know yeah that that was all part of the uh you know uh stereotypical 80s aesthetic Mm -hmm. um yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, the open front on the toy. Yeah. And I was like, it just, it's, I was like, it's not quite like um, um, flesh tone. So like, what is that? What is it exactly they're showing there? You know? Yeah. Well, in, in, in like in, in my uh, child's imagination, I was thinking it was almost kind of similar to uh, Ricardo Montalban in, uh, in Wrath of Khan. Because he's got, he's got a very <laughs> yeah. similar, you know, with like yeah. the, 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 the padded uh, sides yeah, yeah, yeah. to the open shirt and, yeah. and <laughs> rich Corinthian leather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, yeah. Destro is awesome. Like a, uh, like a red, you know, the, the, the thigh straps, you know, yeah. we all wanted thigh straps, you know, and like yeah. shin straps with a knife in there, like Rambo, you know? Yep. Uh, and, and Bandoleo belts, you know, oh, just yeah, as yeah. many bullets yeah. as you could. I mean, that, that was just like a fashion statement, whether it was uh, bullets yeah. or a uh, hand grenades, you know, it's yeah. like if you, if you could have like a shoulder strap with a half dozen grenades on it. Oh know. yeah. Yeah. No. And I wanted them to be removable. It pissed me off that the, yeah. the GI Joe toys had the, the grenades on them and I'd yep. be like, okay, he's pulling off his grenade now, you know, but yeah. it's still there, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, but then even when they gave you grenades, it was like, they would get lost and stuff. You'd, you'd have to spend a lot of your childhood, like OCD, like making mm-hmm. sure you picked up all the weapons, you know, not so that it wouldn't get vacuumed up by mom, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So let's, um, uh, I want to go back to your art for a sec because, uh, one of the things for, for that, for that tangent that I took us on, um, I, I kind of, uh, pushed us past this, uh, this, this amazing, uh, Optimus Prime that, that you've done recently on, uh, on your, uh, series of live streams on Twitch. And, um, like, like I mentioned, uh, during uh, pre-show, you know, I, I kind of dipped in and out and, it, you know, watched part of it, but I found it uh, very, uh, um, in a weird way, almost relaxing. Just, uh, it had um, uh, just the, the way that you narrate your live stream and as you're doing um, your art, it uh, almost had like, like a Bob Ross type of thing. It's like, okay, now I'm just going to fill in some detail over here. And I, uh, I hadn't really seen art made like that live um i i don't i don't uh dip into too many uh live streams for for digital art but i thought um we take a couple minutes and and kind of chat about um you know kind of like uh, uh some of the the new stuff that you're doing on twitch and and growing your channel that way and how maybe um a piece like this is is similar or different than some of the other art that you've been doing yeah, um, you know, again, first, first off, thanks for poking into the the Twitch stream. You know, um, you know, uh, this, in this particular stream, I didn't talk that much because I was just um, 
kind of, uh, you know, just kind of working through how I'm going to do my Twitch stream. Yeah. But um, this is, is done on a different software. So like I, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's a Clip Studio. Um, whereas the painted more chalk, the chalky kind of like grainy stuff, that's all Procreate. And that's mm. just the awesome brushes that they have. Um, but Clip Studio was designed by uh, manga artists um, f- to create manga art. And um, the brush, and again, I just, I, all I talk is about is all I talk about is brush engines, right? Like that's that's what like drives my um, my <laughs> my um, <clears throat> my libido or whatever. Sure, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it seems um, like so, that should be a new character name, Brush Engine. Oh yeah, okay, that's it. I'm making a transformer called Brush Engine. There it um, is. But but like the Brush Engine's so good, and it's designed for. Um, for manga mm-hmm. and and <clears throat> what just and and when they added color to the engine they brought on this thing called watercolor which was the thing that i've been wanting my whole life from from photoshop because photoshop it just it's for me it, to me it's obviously awesome for for thousands and thousands of people out there but for me it just missed the mark somehow at some point because the brush engine was slow and it didn't have a watercolor brush that i wanted and so um you know, I could go on and on about this, but you know, I start with watercolor, just doing grays. Okay. And then I go over it with a manga pen, and and I don't know if, if you saw during the stream, but the manga pen, I, I go super rough. Like I don't actually lay down like final inks on this. I go super rough with the manga inks, and then I go back to watercolor. Oh. Um. So so that's kind of what you're seeing here is like this sort of watercolor painted thing and then I, at the end i go in with the highlights and you know but even the background it's like it's all watercolor and blending that's why it's like really soft and then also you yeah. don't see the ink lines because there are no very basically are no ink lines and if there are they're really short they're really thin so so you can see that these really if you zoom in really close you'll see messy ink lines but um see if i could do that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, oh no that's something else entirely <laughs> yeah okay yeah. Um, but but that's that's that in the gist um um but yeah it's like tor- on the, on his backpack there you can see some hairy, hairy oh lines. sure yeah 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 and those, interesting those leftover uh hairlines so like yeah. like some artifacts there that's yeah yeah that, yeah but you, you don't even notice it you know and that's, that's i just save so much time because i don't have to break my back inking it mm-hmm. and then inking it destroys some of the not not photorealism but just sort of the it, it, you can't highlight as well, I guess. Like when you when you want to put the spec the corner highlights on the metal, sure. Like with the ink line there, it's just so distracting, you know. So yeah, uh, and and I, I was really struck by how um, how well uh, the 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 colors blend. You know, it's it has like you know a very uh, soft, um, almost pastel watercolory uh, yeah, type yeah. of uh, type of vibe to it. I. I like like I said, it was it was really cool and very uh, fascinating to watch. Cool, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's just you know, anytime you you get into the sort of hard lines of inking or hard lines of like cell shading, mm-hmm. you know, where you're you're gonna do like a, a like like Transformers Devastation the game, where these beautiful like cell shading, even Transformers the movie, you see is really beautiful. Like yeah, that stuff yeah, takes so sure. much time because you you draw it, you look at it, you're like, yeah, it doesn't look right. You draw it again, you're like, yeah, it doesn't look right. But then with watercolor, you just blend it, and you're like, yeah, you know, looks like, looks kind of realish, you know. And then, and then instead of doing the diagonal, <clears throat> um, anime sort of uh, highlight streaks, 
you just highlight the, the edge <clears throat> like you see on that art, like I did on the art. Yeah. Like that, that, that point on the corner of the shoulder or that, 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 that line on the, on the, on the, on the, on the corner of the leg, you know, that does almost the same thing. Mm-hmm. So then I, I just finished the picture. So I finished that picture. I don't know how long it took, but it wasn't on the order of eight hours. Right. So right. I did it in two live streams. So it was probably like at max three hours. Wow. So to me, I can, in, I help, you know, heck yeah, I'll, I'll do three hours for a painted piece, you know, and then I can use that till the end of time. You know, if I need to, if, if I do a TFCon, I want to do a TFCon someday finally, because like now with, with COVID and all this stuff, I'm like, I was always like, I'll do it. I'll do TFCon next year. Oh, I'll do it next year. I'll yep. do it next year. But yep. now it's just like, well, I don't know. Well, will we ever get to do this stuff again? And, but now if we do now, I know it's like, oh, it can be taken away from us. Yeah. Like, so I don't, I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss another one, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's what's kind of struck us about the, the times we're in is how fleeting a lot of this stuff is like, you know, uh, TF cons happen a lot and to the point where, you know, it, it's easy to take for granted, but, yeah. but seeing everybody's, uh, posts and photos and memories and shares uh this weekend uh makes me realize that yeah that's that's a thing that we don't have that that thing that i decided i didn't have uh the time or money or resources uh to to go do that's that's kind of like a, a special thing that i can't do right now even if i wanted to and that's that's a weird feeling to have yeah, yeah, and and I think I I just had a thought because I was you know I've been rooting around on Twitch a lot like like way I've already said Twitch like two hundred times. In this, <laughs> it's all in good, show. but like that's just my that's just the way my I'm I'm so I get so laser focused on something. Yeah, and then when then when we talk half a, half a year later, I'll be onto something else. That's how <laughs> my brain works. But we, I was on Twitch and I was there was like this VR chat thing where like not in Twitch itself, but you, there are these VR chat programs where it's like you pick an avatar. And you go into like a bar, so to speak, right? And I think like audio is like they decrease the volume of someone standing farther away from you. So it kind of feels like you're actually in a venue. Mm. So I wonder if in the future, like they've talked about VR cons, right? And you're like, yeah, that sounds stupid, right? But imagine if a VR con was kind of coolish and they got the tech do- technology down right to where you get to pick your avatar, meaning you can cosplay, right? Okay. And okay. then if I set up a booth, then you can buy my wares right at you with a click and a credit card, right? Which is kind of cool or bits or whatever you want, sure, right? Sure. Whatever currency you're running in this cool thing that Amazon has or YouTube has, whatever, right? <clears throat> I can roam around the con. And I can still see, you know, cool people. We can still have cool conversations. I don't know, man. If they if they get it to that level, then then we might be onto something and yeah, you know, if cons take the lion's share of the money, like Reed Pop is taking the lion's share of the money for this kind of venue, then nobody else has access to that revenue stream, right? Yeah. Reed Pop just owns everybody, like, like completely destroys the competition, right? Yep. Um, from my perspective, right? But, oh yeah, um, sure. But then let's just say that now you know money's shifting, right? Right now in COVID, right? So yeah. if money shifts out of Reed Pop and San Diego Comic Con and Wizard World. Kind of like, okay, money's shifting out of education, right? They're cutting education budgets now, right? So where's the money going, right? So it's kind of like in the comic industry, Joseph, where's the money going? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously money's flowing into Webtoon, but, but, um, but in, in, on the, in, the VR, in the 
con scene, is it going to go into VR? Like, is a lot of that spec um, that that seed cash mm-hmm. and and, and um, we call it venture cap venture uh, capital? Yeah, is it going to go into VR to create more of this stuff? And maybe a year later, it'll be developed enough for us to join these VR cons. Um, hey, you know that I- I'm all for tech for technology. You'll you'll see me talking about this like. For hours, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, this is the next thing. You gotta do this thing. Everyone's gotta get on this thing. You know, just I think that's if I live to a hundred, it'll be because I'm always excited about technology, and and the next thing. You know. Well, and it's a it it's fascinating to explore because you know we're we're already seeing the infancy of that a little bit, like um, uh, the last uh, TFCon, um, TFCon Orlando. It, mm-hmm. February feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, wait a minute, yeah. was that like two years ago? What What is time? Quarantine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, so TFCon Orlando uh, was canceled, but they ended up having the third party panel anyway. They did it mm-hmm. as a live stream because all of the slides were already prepared. The material was already done. So they just did it as a stream. And I thought that was a really cool way to share that information. And now we're seeing that evolve further. Like, I mean, we're still a couple weeks away from whatever this virtual uh, San Diego Comic-Con is going to be. But we're seeing, you know, more and more stuff that, quite frankly, is like this. You know, it's, uh, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Zoom and Skype and other conferencing apps are more prolific and more folks are learning how to use them. You know, it's weird because like stuff like this, like this used to be uh, the tools of like content creators. But Mm -hmm. now I, um, I, I think my, my first exposure to Zoom was with my real estate agent when I was moving. You know, so it's like, and, and I was like, wow, this is really intuitive and, and yeah. very easy to use. And, and like, yeah. if my parents can figure out Zoom, then, yeah. then that, that, that just makes us uh, one step closer to that, that VR experience you were talking about, even to where like um, here locally in Seattle, we have a, a local independent unofficial Transformers convention called Cybefest. Mm-hmm. And it, it, uh, it was going to be uh, the first weekend in August. And um, our, uh, our county, uh, King County here in, um, in the Seattle area, was, has one of like the, the stiffest, tightest uh, uh, regulations and kind of hold on reopening. I mean, we're still kind of circling the drain in, in phase two, maybe if wow. we're fortunate. Yeah. Um, but so basically what knowing that there's going to be like three weeks in between phases, mathematically, you know, we're not going to be at phase four uh, by the uh, the beginning of August, and especially now that cases are spiking again. But right. um, so the, the show organizers decided to uh, make it a all virtual streaming uh, con. So basically what they're doing is they're parsing out um, blocks of time and then that time can be filled on a stream from folks from uh, vendors, you know, just like somebody like, hey, look at all my stuff. You know, <laughs> this is all my stuff. You know, here's my Etsy shop or here's, here's yeah. my PayPal or whatever, you know, hit, 
you know, hit me up in my DMs and we can make a deal um, to uh, content creators. Like, like I'm doing a, uh, um, I'm kind of closing things out with the show organizers kind of doing a round table podcast, kind of similar to what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things where, where it used to be just kind of like this, this teeny tiny local show that would have a, a couple hundred folks come through. But now with it streaming theoretically worldwide, it'll be interesting to see what level of participation we get. Like, um, you know, like there, there's folks from out of the area that I've already seen sign up, uh, um, Apollo and, uh, um, I, I don't remember her, uh, um, artist partner's friend name off the top of my head, but anyway, they're, 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 mm-hmm. uh, they're from the Portland area and they're going to do a, uh, streaming panel just talking about, uh, uh, female artists in the fan art community, which is probably not something that they would have been able to do in a yeah. traditional, you know, uh, uh, face-to-face, uh, situation. So it'll be just, it'd just be very cool to see how that goes as an experiment and who knows where TFCon goes from there. Yeah. I think, I think this is where, you know, humankind is at our most creative because we're, we're trying to find solutions to problems. We're not being status quo. And I think, um, I, I just would like to approach it that way. You know, I think like I won't, you know, if, if things had gone on without COVID as you know, business as usual, I would never have gotten a VR headset. I mean, I, I still don't have a VR headset, right? But I think we're, we're getting closer to that, you know, because it's like, okay, we can't, if we're going to be running these, the, these, these events, right. And you're looking at this, this screen, you know, let's get my thumb. How do I get my thumb here? Right. Like this <laughs> screen, like, I mean, my, my, one of my friends, my old friends that I met in Japan, um, he, he was in, in enterprise VR for a while and he had such a, he, he told me, or I looked, I watched one of his presentations or something, but he was like, how ridiculous is it that we're still working on this screen when you could put on a, a VR headset and you could have your, your screens all around you and, and you know, the screen that you need, you just push to the side here and you could grab, you get your email on the side here and never have to, all these layers we have on our screen, like you don't have to deal with that when you have a VR headset. Um, I imagine a VR headset is being heavy. Um, you know, it's straining my eyes after, you know, an hour or, and all these things, but, Imagine all the venture capital and all the potential revenue to be made if all of us had VR headsets and we get closer and closer to, what's that movie? Uh, uh, Minority Report. Well, Minority Report Wait, and the other I, one. Because I, the I thought of that, that when you were moving screens and things like that. Oh, yes. Yeah. But then the other one that just, just came out where um, there's that battle for the key or something. Oh, um, uh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, where it's like that. We all have our Oculus Rifts, you know? Yep. We all love the stuff and we're all, we all have a reason to be home, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, if we don't have a reason to be home, we're going to go out, right? Yeah. But we all have, you know, a reason to be home and, you know, you know, okay, this is changing the landscape. This is fast forwarding us, you know, into Ready Player One, right? Yeah. Whether we like it or not. And hey, you know, I love tech. So, so be it. You know, I'm, I'm not a protester by sure. heart. <laughs> At heart. <laughs> um, I kind of go with the flow, you know? Um, Hey, and I think, you know, um, we gotta, we gotta do stuff. I mean, I have kids, so I'm not here to like push for the past or push for the future. I just got to go with the flow. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do just that, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Interesting perspective, uh, for sure. And I think the thing that we, we've seen, you know, uh, all over with regards to COVID and the, and the pandemic is that it's accelerated the expiration date on a lot of outdated yeah. models. Like, yeah. um, are, are we really going to go back to the movies? I don't know. Yeah. You know, um, hey, I, I personally, I been going to the movies only twice or three times a year for those big super tentpole Star Wars movies or whatever. Uh, uh, maybe maybe an MCU movie here or there. Sure. Um, but honestly, you know, I, I started telling people this many years ago. I was like, I, I kind of don't want to go into a dark room with a bunch of strangers. And 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 I'm not a, a, a germaphobe or or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but it's just like you know, eh, you know. Uh, it sometimes like the, the temperature's off. Like I'm too cold. Like I don't want to yeah. be. I don't want to be uncomfortable, right? I don't want to have to go to the bathroom like and miss a scene. Um, sometimes I mean I don't know what my luck is in movie theaters, but the audio would always be screwed up, or they would leave me on the edge of my seat with bad audio through all of the trailers. Yeah, and then the first minute of the movie with bad audio, and then they turn on the surround sound. Like I don't know why, but every time they see me go into a movie theater. They say, okay, that's Stan. We're going to screw up the audio and give him a heart attack that he's going to have a bad audio experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, why do you, like, if you had been better to me, yeah. <laughs> like, I would love your movie theater more, you know? They, they saw you come and they're like, oh, man, it's Stan, it's Stan. Quick, go, go turn off the audio. No, yeah. that, that's too good. You got to fiddle with the knobs more. More surround, they, less surround. My, when I watched Seven in the movie theater back when I was in college, they screwed up the ending, the ending, the second reel or whatever. Oh, and no. So they jumped to the ending. Like at one point, arbitrary point, they jumped to the ending and somebody had blood all over them and it was the end of the boom. It was the end of the movie. I was like, and it was running backwards. Oh, my gosh. And it was like, it's like, what? come on, you know, what the hell? <laughs> I, I've, I've never had an experience like that. I think like the, the, really worst th the worst thing that's happened to me, I think, watching a movie, I'd have to think about this. I mean, just, just from like a quality experience, like we were, uh, we went to go see Spider-Man, the, uh, the first one, the Sam Raimi one. And it, uh, you know, like how like the film will get stuck. And when it gets <laughs> stuck, the light bulb will heat it up and it'll melt. <laughs> and apparently that was still a thing in, uh, in 2002 because um, it hadn't, hadn't quite gone all digital yet. That was, that yeah. was kind of like the very beginning of that. It was like, first of all, I was like, oh, well, that's a real film print. That's pretty cool. But yeah, it, you burn you're, you're all actually, the Actually, you're right on the money because um, the very first all digital film I mean, I think there was still, um, what do you call it? The, when they sent the, the reel to the theaters, there was still, yeah. uh, what, film, actual film. But the first all-digital movie ever filmed was Attack of the Clones. Yep. Right. Oh, you know that, obviously. We, we could talk, probably oh, talk no. about Star oh, Wars. <laughs> talk we about could Star probably Wars. talk about Star Wars for a long time, too. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting because, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that, that was like a really big deal at the time because, it, you know, George Lucas was kind of almost holding the theater owners hostage. It's like, <laughs> hey, man, you want this new Star Wars? Well, then you have to replace all of your cameras or at least oh, bring it. Oh, did he that? Yeah. But did, did celluloid still go out or was it all digital? You had to have a digital projector. I, I think, I mean, because at that point, it, w it wasn't like a clean break, but yeah, I think what yeah. it was is they had to have a certain number of digital cameras to be okay. able to exhibit 
uh, Attack of the Clones. So yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't like oh you have to change all of your cameras, which is literally what I just said. That, that yeah. that's an exaggeration. This is, but, this is a but tangent, you had to buy but... you had to buy new equipment was was what it was. And he yeah. wanted to do it for uh, for Phantom Menace, but the the technology just wasn't quite there. And um and and that and he and, didn't have proof that he could sell it. Like, like, I mean, I, I, like, he needs proof, right? But I know, right? still, people still need that proof these days. Like, okay, you know, your last movie was '83. Can you prove that this thing, this thing can still yeah. sell like 400 million? Which, which, um, domestic, um, Phantom Menace did. So yeah, and it's interesting though, and and I I don't want to necessarily go on like this whole film tangent though. It sounds like <laughs> we easily could. You know, you uh, you watch those prequels i mean you know uh, episode two and episode three specifically because they were they were shot digitally doesn't hold up man there's like a softness to it and it just it just <laughs> and then when you go 60 fps it just looks really it looks like it looks like a soap opera like a tv soap opera right? it really <laughs> does it really does has you know has a. Uh, yeah, soap opera is the perfect uh, example to that. With like, the, you know, like the frame rate isn't quite right, and it's, right. Yeah, it's just it's very interesting. So now, now I could I'm tangenting it again, but like there are like fake 60 FPS like up version up converts. What do you call it? Upscales or whatever. Yeah, yeah. For uh, Transformers and Akira, uh, the animation, oh. and uh, I I couldn't. But anyway, <laughs> I love it. I, people people are going all around saying, "Oh, it's fake. It's a fake F60 FPS. It's it doesn't do anything for them." I don't care. Like you go to 60 FPS on any of these animations, like it just looks like it just looks crazy awesome. I love it. That would be really cool. I I'm gonna have to check that out now. See if I see if I can dig some stuff up because yeah, just the 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 speed and smoothness of it. I I think that would be yeah. I think that would be yeah. a very interesting experiment. So it's kind of like when remember when like converting things to 3d movies was the craze and they, yes. they would take an old movie and convert it to 3d and, yep. and some of them sometimes it was done tastefully yeah. um, like i felt avatar um uh, uh, james cameron's avatar was tastefully converted to 3d because there was only like three layers yeah like foreground midground and background but then some of those other 3d movies they, they really blew out the 3d where stuff got blurry and stuff and i was like yeah not 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 my cup of tea yeah I, I hear you there. It, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think I think 3D is pretty much done for. <laughs> like, I I uh, I occasionally jump on a podcast with uh, with my buddy who does a, a side tangent show like once or twice a year called 3D Never Die, and <laughs> he uh, he is for for whatever reason, and he can't even articulate it. But there's something about 3D that's always struck his imagination. So anything that comes out in 3D, he will buy it. Even if it, <laughs> it's awesome, it doesn't matter if it's any good or not. I mean, That's he'll awesome. he'll just buy it to support the format, and it's uh. Well, well what was cool was like a Nintendo 3DS, where you didn't even need um, glasses to be able yes. to experience a version of 3D. And again, I just say tasteful 3D is just a couple layers, just mm -hmm. a couple. It does the job, and you know, um, that's all I need. I, I'm not. I never need like all the bells and whistles, right? Awesome. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, uh, and, and like I said, I mean, we could, we could go on and on about that uh, forever. And that's where we're going to leave it for this week's podcast, part two 
of my conversation with artist Stan drops next week, and we'll talk more about Transformers, obviously, uh, but we're also going to uh, talk about Stan's earliest memories of the franchise and the toys, plus we've got some scorching hot takes about the world of comics. But that will wrap things up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and if you want to listen to our past shows, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And you can always check out the full show archive out on SoundCloud. Like, share, rate, and review the show. Let us know what you'd like and what you'd like to hear more of in the future. Mike Seibert Radio is produced by Dave Sanders and is powered by Poddex. For my guest Stan Cho, artist Stan, my name is Mike, and until next time, wear a mask and make good choices. You've been listening to the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at Mike Seibert Radio. Email us at MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. The spelling on that, of course, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. Call into the voicemail hotline at 231-224-MIKE. Once again, that's 231-224-6453. Special thanks to Michael Geisler for our theme music. For more like it, check out ByDoorMusic.com. This has been a Mike Seibert Radio Production. At one point during my sort of fandom, I, I became less enthralled with the, the battling aspect of Transformers. Sure. And more towards the sort of like the slice of life aspect yeah. of it, which I think is like, if you really think about it, it's like, you know, guns, right? Which I don't own any guns and mm-hmm. I don't plan on firing a gun in my life. I mean, you know, knock on wood, right? <laughs> sure. um, <laughs> but so it's just like, well, why am I drawing guns and warfare all the time? So it's just kind of like, you know, I had a lot of fun. I, I learned about this on DeviantArt. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there was a lot of sort of like, like a lot of humor around Transformers. And then yeah. this is where, you know, I drew this one picture of Sideswipe, um, Prowl, and Mirage playing um, um, baseball in the snow, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. You can't really hit a, a snowball with a baseball bat. But it, it was that kind of thing. And, and, you know, people really liked it. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I, I just didn't draw a lot of guns in my Transformers art. Uh, for well, a while, you know, and, even and, now, maybe. Yeah. yeah well, and, and two things on that. Um, one, I, I think a lot of us fans have kind of found the actual war um, mm. the least interesting part of the fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, like the slice of life stuff and just kind of getting into the psychology of the characters, what makes them yeah. tick, you know, the kind of the interactions yeah. you had. But um, something you said with, you know, like some of the more whimsical aspects, like, you know, uh, playing in the snow, you know, that stuff was baked into the original cartoon. It you was, know, yeah, yeah. The, the really look. funny sort of uh, scene with jazz, right? Yeah, um, hey guys, and, and, snow <laughs> fair. I mean, or, or like, you know, uh, right. Optimus Prime playing basketball with tracks. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then another one that I've just been going through like meme clips, but the, the yeah. one of um, Blue Streak uh, surfboarding. Yes. And it's just kind of, com- <laughs> kind of yeah, it's kind of comical. Um, yeah. But yeah, that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's great. They, they really got it, you know, and mm-hmm. I think I was watching this clip um, uh on youtube and and the you know the voice talents were talking about about stuff yeah and one of them was like um the autobots are like steel humans or something something like that and it's like it's really decepticons are kind of like dysfunctional humans 
if you had to call them that, but or you could call them robots. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the 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 um, the Autobots are all humans in steel bodies. But then the 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 funny and cool thing about it too is that the, even though the Decepticons are kind of like warmongers and and kind of heartless to a to a degree, they also became humanized, you yeah. know, inadvertently or whatever. But they were totally human, so you could call them humans and steel bodies, and um, you know, that's that's the truth of it. You know, and that's what we loved about it, and yeah. and that's what Bay doesn't get about it because he didn't see them as humans. Right. didn't treat them as humans, you know. Prime was very violent. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's all no, stuff you, we can talk about. 